0: Section sixty three of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Greg Giordano. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies An Authentic Record of Remarkable Cases by John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bombau Homicide Part forty A Dramatic California Incident The general agent of a life insurance company walked into the office of the Coast Review in San Francisco one day, and, accepting the pro offered easy chair of the editor, resigned himself to the consolation of a fragrant weed. Always genial he was in a most agreeably talkative mood, and was gradually led into some of the interesting reminiscences of a busy life. A surprising experience of years before was fresh in his mind, recalled while ransacking old papers. The story dated back to 1867, and he related it as follows. One day a fine-looking, full-bearded man, entered my office and quietly asked for a policy of five thousand dollars on his life any doubt as to the sanity of a man who without solicitation would apply for life insurance was speedily dispelled by two or three questions while not familiar with the plans of life insurance nor with rates he had a clear idea of what he wanted and said it was enough for him to know that my company was a legitimate enterprise millions to back up its contracts of insurance i speedily filled his application for a twenty-year endowment policy in the sum of five thousand dollars payable in the event of death to his fiancée bride or wife as the case might be the first year's premium was paid and the applicant was handed an interim binding receipt awaiting the acceptance or rejection of the application by the company placing the receipt in his pocket the gentleman in a word or two casually dropped, displayed a confidential mood which I thought well to encourage. He was an ex-captain of the Union army, and was then in receipt of a fair income from some source which I have forgotten. He had become enamoured of a handsome and amiable young lady—a man's sweetheart is always so, is she not?—met at the hotel where they both were boarding, if my memory serves me. He designed this policy as a wedding gift for his bride, though the wedding was not to take place for two or three months at least. I bowed my visitor out, with little thought of the sequel of our pleasant interview, and never again saw him alive. The application was duly accepted, and the policy was forwarded to me. It was placed in the office safe, awaiting the reappearance of the ex-captain, who never came two months later the morning papers contained the shocking intelligence that captain blank had been killed by a fall from an upper window of a building standing where the grand hotel now is the dead man was my strange visitor he had walked out of the window while asleep it was said and did not recover consciousness during the few minutes of life remaining to him the death of a man so recently insured by me was startling the $5,000 loss to my company on a policy on which only one premium had been paid was unfortunate, but I was saddened also by a real sympathy with the manly captain and his bereaved bride. As a matter of formal duty, and wholly without suspicion of the discovery and reserve, I immediately visited the scene of the accident. The body of the captain lay on the lounge in an upstairs room. I recognized his face at a glance as the cloth was turned down to permit the requested view of the features of the corpse. A few questions elicited the information that the captain lodged in the building and that his affianced also lived there. The story of his fatal accident was repeated with interesting details which had not appeared in the daily prints. The captain was a somnambulist or sleepwalker, his friends had said. The room where he had slept on the fatal night was shown to me. It was small, with one small window. Examining the window out of which it was alleged the captain had walked in his sleep, I was struck with the difficulty of walking out of so small a window with so high a sill. The affair began to have a suspicious aspect. It was clear that the captain had not walked out of the window in his sleep. The room bore none of the disorderly traces of a drunken man and I dismissed as improbable the thought that the captain had clambered out of the window and fallen while intoxicated. The conclusion was that the unfortunate man had either committed suicide while temporarily insane, or had been murdered for the insurance money, I feared, with a queer feeling at my heart. My resolution was taken instantly. The coroner's jury had returned a verdict of accidental dislocation of the neck, from a fall while asleep but i determined to employ a physician and two detectives informing the attendants of my early return i immediately repaired to a detective agency to the office of a disinterested physician thirty minutes later we three met at the lodging-house or boarding-house or whatever it was the doctor made a thorough examination of the corpse but found no evidence of violence it is perfectly clear he said the man had fallen and that his neck was broken the detectives examined the personal effects in the sleeping room of the deceased and took the exact dimensions and elevation of the window from the ground and the floor they reported some suspicions entertained by the neighbors but gave me no evidence that materially strengthened my suspicions in the meantime i sought and obtained an interview with the bride a little conversation added to the whisperings brought to me by the detectives assured me that the beautiful and amiable bride and beneficiary was a loose character announcing myself as the general agent of the blank life insurance company and upon the strength of that position i asked some very pointed and personal questions if the frail lady blushed at any of them her blushes were invisible beneath the rouge i came away satisfied in my own mind that the bride had conspired with others to drug the captain and throw him out of the window upon the pavement below in the belief that the fall would kill him but how could i prove it in the face of the evidence and the coroner's verdict two years after the death of the captain there strutted into my office a well-known sporting character now living in oakland i think he is known as major blank let us call him major t approaching the counter he threw down before me the identical binding receipt I had given Captain Blank for his premium on a $5,000 endowment policy. Why has that insurance never been paid to the beneficiary? he brusquely demanded. I picked up the receipt and invited the sporting major into the private office. Closing the door softly and motioning him to a seat, I drew my own chair close to his, facing him. After a few moments' silence, I thus addressed him as impressively as possible. You ask me why the policy on the life of the late Captain blank, has never been paid. It has never been paid because the beneficiary, Miss, blank, the betrothed bride, murdered the captain. Murdered? exclaimed the major. What evidence have you? This evidence, said I the captain and his bride and two men and women besides had a hilarious time the night before the fatal accident he was too large a man to walk out that little sleeping-chamber window had the sill been a low one he was carried to his room drunk or drugged and thrown from the window the distance he fell was not sufficient to kill him i can prove that he was assisted to his feet and was conscious the conspirators did not know that a passer-by assisted him into the house they probably administered a drug, or persuaded him to drink himself into unconsciousness, and the cold-blooded murderers deliberately twisted the unconscious captain's head until they dislocated his neck. Then he died, and not until then. I told the major this with all the impressiveness and dramatic force that I could summon. I told it with good effect, too, for he turned ghastly pale and exclaimed in trembling tones, "'My God! I knew nothing of these facts!' I am innocent of any connection with the affair, and only present the claim at the request of the woman. We will not discuss the matter any further, said I meaningly. Here is that receipt, take it back to the woman, and tell her that if it is not returned tomorrow by ten o'clock, together with a receipt in full for all claims against the blank life insurance company, I shall have you both in prison cells by tomorrow afternoon at three o'clock." on the following morning just before ten o'clock in walked the major with the binding receipt i had given the captain and with a receipt in full of all claims against the company by the bride the major turned on his heel and walked out of the office without a word i see him occasionally on the street but he does not so much as recognize me with a look and has never spoken or written to me a word on the subject of the murder since the memorable afternoon when he left my office in such haste and fear. A part of my dramatic declaration of evidence of the murder I knew was true, and the remainder, I believe, was true. But if the major and the woman had understood the extent of the testimony at my command, they would not have been so tractable. I stumbled upon the truth, however, as the result of my investigations and reflections, and the conspirators were glad enough to call it quits, and get off with life and liberty. End of Section 63 Read by Greg Giordano, Newport Ritchie, Florida